Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike you know what that music means it's time for another amazing fantabulous episode of wired up this is wired up episode 71 and the nfl draft has concluded ladies and gentlemen we're gonna have a few days coming up here where we talk a little draft before we move on and you know, pivot into the month of May. By the way, happy May, everyone. This is the first time we're coming at you in a new month. And uh, we're going to pivot here and figure out where we go from here. But first, we had to bring in one of our great guests on the show. You guys know him so well, Walter Mitchell, SB Nation, Revenge of the Birds writer. By the way, support his stuff. The link is in the bio of the... The link is in the description to today's episode. Please go support our buddy Walter, and all the good work he does. He is back again. This is part one with Walter. We'll have Walter back again later on this week, maybe even Monday. But for now, we got to just talk to Walter about everything and anything that he found interesting coming in through the draft. And we also talk Aaron Rodgers. I told you that coming out of the draft, we were going to take the Aaron Rodgers stuff and put it to the side. Well, now right here, we're going to take that Rodgers stuff and bring it back to the forefront. So with that being said, here is our interview with Walter Mitchell. I shouldn't call it an interview. I, I, I'm tired. I'm getting this right here, but it's really a conversation. We, we're, we're talking. None of this is scripted. We just go with where we start and see where we end up, as we do with all of our interviews here. We'll just see where we end up going. So post-NFL draft coverage, Let's bring in our dear, dear friend, Walter Mitchell. Uh, and again, thank you, Walter, so much for everything that you do for this podcast. So let's chat with Walter and check out his stuff over at Revenge of the Birds. Please go support Walter as well. Support for the Take It Easy podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and today we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code TIE, that's T-I-E, at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIE, T-I-E, at manscaped.com. 
That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. You sound good. How are you doing? Good. I'm uh, sleep deprived, but uh, it's this great weekend of the year where we get to uh, play uh, our own GMs. And, uh, yes, play armchair you know, GM and watch the draft and grade picks. We have no idea whether they'll be right or not. Yeah, and I was just, uh, oh, excuse me. I'll turn that off. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, you're all good. I love the uh, the old-fashioned ringtone. I know, right? <laughs> so I was just tweeting that um, my disdain for draft day grades, I, I just think it's, it's like the analogy I'm making is that um, it's like grading a um, students on the very first day of class. Like they haven't taken a test yet. They haven't bonded with the teacher or the or their classmates yet. Yeah, you're just grading but, them based on how they graded in the last, you know, the two grades before they got here. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, and so you're going to slap a grade on them and possibly even stigmatize them right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other analogy that I was making was that it's kind of like you go to a car dealership and you're all excited. You bought the Toyota and a pundit comes in and gives you a C plus because you really should have bought the Honda. I mean, <laughs> WTF. All right. And yeah. The- drafting grades are difficult because they don't mean anything. And your pick is the perfect example because I've seen people give an A to the Cardinals. I've seen people give a B to the Cardinals, a C and even one C minus to the Cardinals for picking Zayvon Collins. So all of it is random up and down the board and subjective, which of course it's subjective. It's a lot of what the analysis is, but there's a booming industry because there's a demand for people knowing whether or not their team is going to have some sort of hope and football traffic's in the emotions business and people want hope. They want the hope that their franchise is going to be something more than it is now. And, you know, the, the beauty of the draft is having the look across Lions fans' face when they finally realize that their organization has competence and they didn't do something stupid in the draft. Uh, yeah, see, I've been on those Lions, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. they, they kind of lucked into it for them. They, uh, they, they weren't forced to make a tough decision at seven because the Dolphins took the tough decision out of their hands at six. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, they picked a guy that fits their profile and – uh you know, there's, that's that's what you want to do. Uh, that's what the draft's all about. And, you know, the heck with everybody else. Who cares? Uh, take your guy. What people forget is, you know, you oftentimes have one chance to draft a guy. Or if you're Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace five times. <laughs> well, good for them. Um, they got, I think, one of the great greatest steals of this draft and finally you know maybe uh this time's a charm for them but uh because uh fields is a is a gamer and you know i i still don't understand 
how um, you know he slid away from those you know first few picks, but but we'll find out now, won't we? Oh, of course. And uh, unfortunately, this is this is the situation where it's going to decide. Like the one thing I was laughing about when I saw Joe Thomas come out from the draft when he's like the representative of Cleveland with Bernie Kosar, which I found funny that they had to pull someone from 35 years ago to represent Cleveland at the draft. <laughs> But when I saw that, I'm like, Joe Thomas is the perfect example of destined for greatness because everything around him failed, and yet he's still going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So if Justin Fields is one of these destined for greatness guys that I think we both kind of agree that we think he is, this is probably going to test it a little bit, not only with Chicago and their recent history with quarterbacks but also the fact that it looks like there's going to be a coaching change coming up soon and maybe a gm change coming up soon so that's going to be a test that i think is not going to be great for justin fields but if he overcomes it i mean the sky's the limit with his talent well and you already have those guys fired they ought to just pack their bags I mean, I, it's the same thing with Fangio. I don't see any way Fangio can keep his job by the end of this season. I just don't see any way it's possible. Nagy and Pace more possible because now you have Justin Fields, and if he's immediately awesome as a rookie, then you can sneak into the playoffs. But I don't – unless they're just going to say you can miss the playoffs next year and still keep your job, at which point I, just, I don't understand what we're doing anymore with the Bears. But I, I just – I would have fired them before this. I would have let the new GM pick Justin Fields. But so be it for Chicago. They're going to get their chances because they've made the playoffs a couple times in the last three seasons. Even through all the incompetence, they did build a pretty good defense. Yeah, and uh, there comes a point where turnover can just kill your organization. You know, if you keep changing, you know, doing musical chairs. I think it kind of doomed Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins more than their inability to play football. I think just organizational turnover messed them up. Well, and you, every time you switch coaching staffs, you're retooling the whole roster and catering it to the new staff's preferences and you know it's there's no quick fix for um cleaning up the messes that some you know programs leave behind and or coaching regimes leave behind like arians in arizona um the cupboard was bare quarterback i mean there were <clears throat> the defense had been really faltering ever since todd bowles left and you know, things were in complete disarray and the Cardinals are still trying to push the rock back up the hill. Got mm -hmm. about halfway up last year. So, but, um, what was and it? to be Fox? honest, those, those long rebuilds tend to build some like sustainable fruits of the labor. Cause like Cleveland's the perfect example right now, the Browns <laughs> did everything possible to mess things up. And they still ended up being a great team. And they still end up looking like one of the best teams in the AFC, even though they went through like four head coaches, three GMs. They tried everything they could to mess it up. And it still worked out because they had that long-term vision and took as many hits at the board as possible. And sometimes talent can overcome the incompetence all around them when you have Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and 
Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield, it overcomes all the problems around you. And now they've found some level of sustainability and put it all together. But the Lions are the perfect example of that coming around now is that Lions fans celebrate. You have organizational competence and they have a plan in the draft and they got the blue chip prospect. So it just feels like you're right. It takes a long time to dig out of those holes. Yeah, one good de- good decision can lead to another. I mean, uh, you know, look at Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, and the, the draft is pretty simple if you start to get it right. Is that you take the best player on your board? Period. You never know when needs can arise. I mean, we're one injury away often from needing at another position. You know, for taking Penny Sewell at pick seven for the. For, who fell handsomely right into the lion's den. Um, you take them, uh, you know, you don't look back. And I, that's one great decision already for, for their, um, for, you know, for their new owner, yeah, new yeah. owner, new GM and new coach. So they've turned over yeah. the entire infrastructure. You know, and one good pick begets another. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do today and they're building and I uh, like it. I like what they're doing, and, and I think that, uh, you know, their team down the road, we can keep an eye on. How heartbreaking was it to see ETN go at 25 to the Jaguars? Well, the solace of that was we predicted it in our last mock. How that we did. That? Let's go back and see how many exactos we got on there. <laughs> Yeah, well, one of the things we did, one of the themes we did that came true was the reunited and it feels so good when we got it with Burrow and Chase, right? We did get it, yeah. We got it with Tua and Waddle. Yeah. We we got it with the Eagles who traded back, traded up, traded back, traded up, finally wound up with... uh, Jalen for Jalen. I mean, for um, Devontae for Jalen. Excuse me. Yeah, we wanted the well, they, well, we wanted the three Jalens, but we got the Devonta right for Jalen situation, right. which you know, but, it's a long rebuild. I'll take it if I'm the Eagles. You know, and then now tr- Travis ATN with Trevor Lawrence just feels good. I mean, the familiarity and the kind of success they've had together is, can carry over. Um, interesting today. I was reading that um, Urban Meyer was asked about, well, why are you taking ATN when you, you have Robinson, you know, and, and, you know, your running back room's pretty solid. He said, oh, we thought he'd be a great third down back for us. So we're ready to go. And um, yeah. interesting that, you know, a rebuilding team is going to take a, you know, a third down back in the first round, but, I mean, that was just kind of a convenient answer just, you know, right at this moment. But I have every expectation that Travis Etienne's going to play half the snaps. Um, well, I don't know what you do but, with James Robinson now. I just don't know what you do if you're the Jaguars. Like, obviously, having running backs is a good thing. And having the, the all of them are on cheap contracts. Etienne, Carlos Hyde, and James Robinson are all on super correct. cheap contracts. But... Why would you invest a first-round pick? I mean, if ETN is great, if 
the thing I do say about first round running backs is if you're going to pick a first round running back, make certain it's the right guy. And if you're Jacksonville, I mean, sure, Philip Lindsay was a thousand yard Pro Bowl rusher as a rookie and he didn't work out quite as hot. So I'm not saying James Robinson is great, but wouldn't you have at least wanted to find out instead of like preemptively deciding he's not great and using a first round pick on ETN? Uh, my answer to that, my personal answer to that is no, because I love ATN and what he can bring to your football team. And, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of organizations, and I'm, I've become one of them who's convinced you need a stable of good backs to, um, you know, sustain success over a 17-game season and then into the playoffs. The days of riding a bell cow um back you know your racehorse for 17 games and giving him 25 touches a game is you know those days i think are becoming few and far between um i agree with you on that 100 percent. i think the the argument i make is that you don't necessarily have to invest big time in the running back position Chiefs won a Super Bowl with Damian Williams. Patriots won with James White and Rex Burkhead as their leading running backs. Is that even these cheap disposable guys can give you the production you're looking for, even without investing, you know, the top picks in the running backs, unless you're going to get a Todd Gurley or a Derrick Henry. And obviously, Etienne and Najee Harris are both really good. And even if they're Josh Jacobs, that's a huge victory for a first-round pick, is if you can get a pro bowl running back, you should absolutely go and get it. But I guess James Robinson was a pro bowl running back last year. Well, what I think it makes ATN special is his versatility. Um, and, you know, I, I consider him a real integral factor in any team's passing game. So I mean, that's an asset unto itself. And then, you know, college coach likens him to Walter Payton, which I thought was mm. fascinating. Um, and I, I can see the comparison a little bit, you know, his tenacity. Um, that's a kid who won't go down easy like Walter never did. Um, you got to really bring him down. If you try to arm tackle him, he's going to, you know, carry him off of you. And, um, yeah, I think he's a special player and, you know, special. Um, you know, I, I, I get the argument of the, you can get a running back later, but I don't think you can get a Travis ATN very often in, in any draft. And, um, you know, if I were the, if I were drafting for the Cardinals, I would have taken him at 16. That's how, Hi, I am on him and um, and love his story. Although I love Zayvon Collins, I'm really happy that we drafted him. Um, and, uh, you know, he and Isaiah Simmons, I think, are going to reinvent or start a new vogue of inside linebacker tandems. You know, the, the Bucks one with the diminutive duo of, uh, you know, um, of... Uh, Devin, Devin White, White and uh, uh, David um, Levante David. I mean Levante David, exactly. Um, both those guys are small and they're ball match, and that's been the recent vogue. But they also struggle getting off a box. Anyone at that size would. Um, 
unless they can run around those blocks. You know, now when you put a couple of six four guys side to side who can run and um, and you know uh, and have the athleticism to also be very effective in coverage, which both those guys are. Um, that's that. That's going to be an interesting um, case study and and change to see see if see if the Cardinals can pull that off. And the Cardinals, the Cardinals like the Jaguars because the thing with the Jaguars is like they still have the thirty third pick coming up. So if they just felt ETN wasn't going to fall to thirty three, then I'm all for taking him at twenty five, considering you have the extra pick. But for the Cardinals, it becomes interesting because now all of these first round offensive linemen start to fall in the second. You've got Ray Dunes available. You've got Tevin Jenkins, Samuel Cosme, Creed Humphrey. All these guys start to fall to the Cardinals. And maybe they get a wide receiver in there too, like an Elijah Moore right. or a, um, what's the, Terrace Marshall. One of those right. people starts to fall to Arizona. There's a lot of good options for Arizona now. Yeah, and um, the offensive linemen um, I'd love to see the Cardinals get is Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater, who who um, turned the Senior Bowl upside down, um, you know, put on quite a performance there. I was saying today um, on Revenge of the Birds that I would pay money to see how he could block, how he could do against Aaron Donald. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's going to take him a while to, you know, kind of find a way to slow Donald down it's nobody's been able to do it but if a kid could I think that kid has the makeup and the tenacity and he's he's got very good feet and quickness to go with a, a good good pop um in his pads he, he he really mixes it up uh so but um but that's we only have this second round pick and then we don't pick until pick 160 in the fifth round um, mm -hmm. for having given up uh, the third round for Rodney Hudson, which of course we do any day of the week. And then the fourth round from the DeAndre Hopkins trade, which we would do any day of the week. So, um, but I'm wondering if the Cardinals will trade down to try to um, pick, fill that void. Which yeah, like grab a, an extra pick or two in day three. Correct. correct. So, or I think it's possible they could even trade the pick for a Stephon Gilmore, for example, um, or um, you know someone of that ilk. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of people. If they wanted to go wide receiver, I know Sterling Shepard is now available, so that's another option. Yeah, I wouldn't give up a second round pick for Sterling Shepard, but. Maybe their fifth round pick. Um, That's fair. That's a right. fair assessment. You know, uh, so trades are always possible, and the Cardinals have a lot of players. They love Asante Samuel Jr. I was um, stunned that five corners went off and none of them were his name. Right, uh, and none of them. Have, several of them did not do not have his versus his durability. Um, you know, have have had injury histories. So I was really happy um, to see uh, Caleb Farley get 
picked by the Titans. Uh, felt really bad for that kid. You know, he got hurt, hurt his back working out for crying out loud. And then, you know, he's just had one and then he, he's now fending off COVID. Um, and you know, the kid's just been sort of, you know, taking one hit after the other, but, uh, Hopefully, the back will stabilize and he won't have to have a third surgery. Um, there's an 80% chance that it will, um, according to uh, Brett Coleman, who did a, include that in his uh, defensive prospect preview. Um, and um, so good for him and good for the Titans for um, giving him that chance. What's very um, fascinating to me is so the 49ers and they're, they're acting now like they're saying that Lance was their guy all along, um, even though, you know, the reporters were constantly thinking it's Mac Jones. But and so the, report taking... at the, end, the report at the end said that it was like Mac Jones is their uh, Mac Jones is Shanahan's guy and the front office says Lance. And it looked like the front office ended up superseding Shanahan. Well, who knows what happens, except, except that mm -hmm. even if there was that indecision to risk that many draft picks, you know, um, and... And then also at the end, try and dump Jimmy Garoppolo on a, on some team and then having no takers and having to just kind of like, well, I guess we kind of just have to hang on to him at this point because everyone's got a quarterback now. Even well, the Broncos they have to. Be. Because I don't know how quickly Trey Lance can assimilate, you know, into the NFL. And, you know, it seems smart to keep Garoppolo until they know. And they were even saying that last night in their press conference with Scott Van Pelt. Was that they're going to prep him until they know and the team knows he's ready. And then they'll put him in there for good, hopefully. But yeah. uh, I but think that process goes, in the so, past... The disparity of taking a subdivision player over, um, you know, Justin Fields, who excelled in the Big Ten. I don't think he ever lost a Big Ten game. Um, he had two kind of so-so games against Indiana and Northwestern that, you know, weren't great games. Did, but they, did still they go undefeated? Did they go no. undefeated that year? The, not last year, the year before. They still won those games. Um, yeah, and, you know, and got him to the, the playoffs this year and outplayed Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick. But that's not good enough. For, I mean, the, Lance is a better prospect, I guess, for them. I mean, uh, Fields' his pedigree. I mean, he came when he came out of Georgia, he was one of the top three rated high school quarterbacks in the country. I still can't believe that, Georgia screwed that up by sticking with Jake Fromm and um, not going to fields earlier. Uh, you know, I mean, Jake Fromm's never seen the first round of a draft board, although he was a solid quarterback for them. But, you know, I mean, with a prospect like fields who everyone was raving about when they were able to sign him at Georgia, you know, um, wow. So, but then, then, then you also have Mac Jones, you know, leading Alabama to a national championship in 
and playing the position almost flawlessly this past season. I mean, he was dynamic getting the ball out on time. Um, you know, he was tremendous in the playoffs. I mean, he was money, total money. And, you know, but so you're going to take Trey Lance. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying that it's fascinating to see because I know it also, you know, came to my Cardinals pick is, you know, um, Zayvon Collins, the linebacker who won the Nagurski Award and the um, Chuck Banderic. I mean, he was all, you know, unanimous All-American, you know, um, won the, you know, Bronco Nagurski Award for the best linebacker in the country. Out of Tulsa, though, you know, which isn't a Power Five conference. Is and they're not even, a good, not even a good team in the other conferences. They, I don't think they would have made a bowl game. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, he had no major, came from a little school in Oklahoma and had no major offers, no Power Five offers. Um, and he's a self-made player who was a quarterback in high school, and now, you know, he converted to linebacker at Tulsa and then took off with it and, and you know, made an unbelievable, um, you know, ascent up the ranks and, you know, He's very deserving of where he was he was taking this draft. But there again, on the flip side, the Cardinals were passing over the player who was the number one player in the entire country in his in his high school senior year, signed by Alabama, goes in and crushes it at Alabama to the point of despite being surrounded by all American high school all American backs that he has to even beat out, he ends up being the leading rusher in Alabama history, helps lead the team to two national championships, wins the Doak Award in his final year as the leading running, the top running back in the country. You know, it's just fascinating how, you know, underdogs can slip in there, you know, who are not as test, you know, I mean, they haven't played at the level of competition that some of these, you know, kids from the, the power conferences have or excelled been on a team that has excelled the way those, you know, the Alabama teams have, for example. And yet, you know, time and time again, we see in drafts players of, of, you know, the underdogs being taken over um, clear favorites. Yeah. And this is the interesting thing for the quarterback situation, because I, I have stopped. The last straw for me was last year where I buy into the idea of X team or Y team is going to sit a quarterback for a season and that's their game plan. And then that game plan, they'll stick to it because the season's way too long and the jobs are way too short. And the the thing that did it for me was everyone, including myself, aggressively saying, you can't play Justin Herbert as a rookie. Justin Herbert is a sit and wait and see what happens kind of guy. And the examples people point to about Mahomes sitting for a season, um, I don't think, I mean, in hindsight, they should have put Mahomes in over Alex Smith, but Mahomes only didn't go in because they started 8-0 that season. So the Trey Lance and Mac Jones things, I'm interested, but I think also when the 49ers start 3-4, and four, for example, and they start looking over at that bench and Mac Jones is looking, or uh, Trey Lance is looking pretty appeasing, 
I think it'll come down to play it by when they feel they need to put Trey Lance in and move on to the future because they're obviously trying to move Jimmy G. I still think that Trey Lance is going to start week one for the 49ers. I don't know what your number is where you think he'll start in the season, but I, I feel like he'll start week one. Mac Jones depends on how good the Patriots start because the Patriots are weird because they have a playoff caliber roster. So I don't know. This is obviously like a conversation like with the Aaron Rodgers stuff. We can talk about this all May and June and July, but I think Trey Lance will start week one and Mac Jones. I have no idea what they're going to do with Mac Jones. Yeah. uh, Typically the Patriots are not going to rush any young quarterback. But also, they have a winning roster right now. Is the thing that I'm confused right. by. They like, have... If Mac Jones is significantly better than Cam Newton, good. You upgraded at quarterback. But if he's yeah. not, how much leeway does he get? Yeah, I think they'll start with Cam and hope for the best there. But then, you know, they'll see how their season goes, and if they're winning, it'll be like an Alex Smith situation. You know, if they're winning, Cam will still keep playing. If if not, um, you know. Who knows? They'll, 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 they might, they might get, switch it. Mac Jones might get an early call. And uh, and I think people could argue the same thing for the 49ers to just see how they go with Jimmy G. Although I'm of the persona, I think Trey Lance is going to start week one and Jimmy G is either going to not be on the team or he's going to be a backup for, I guess, until someone's quarterback tears their ACL and they need another quarterback. I, that wouldn't shock me either, but... Uh, I mean, the, the 49ers have a playoff roster. Yeah, and I think that's why they – situation. And I think that's why they made the pick to, to go up and get Trey Lance is for immediate impact in the future is that they have a playoff roster and they don't want to roll out with Jimmy G anymore, is that they have a playoff roster and they want to have a quarterback with higher potential to, you know, elevate the team than Garoppolo, who's kind of like – a zero across the board, except that one magical game where he threw four second half touchdowns against the Cardinals. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. That's that's a little harsh, but um, you know his issue's been durability and um, you know being able to stay healthy uh, and limited in the middle of the field. Garoppolo's had. Right. Not not great, but not not bad either. Just kind of like average in the middle of the field. Right. But uh, it's two very analogous situations with the 49ers and the Patriots because they're veteran quarterbacks at the top of the depth chart, if you count them still as QB1s, both got their teams to Super Bowls. So you know they can do it. All right, and now now Cam did it in in uh, Carolina. Yes, with one and, of the, the one of the weakest teams to make the Super Bowl of the past ten years or so. Both teams that made the Super Bowl is one of the weakest Super Bowl matchups. But yes, well, that team was virtually unbeatable all year in 2015. Um, I I just say that because it was like Cam just carrying that team where. <laughs> He, I think their leading receiver that year was Ted Ginn, if I remember correctly. Like, the roster was pretty barren other than, you know, some good guys on defense and Cam Newton kind of carrying them to the Super Bowl and being well, dominant offensively because he's a super weapon. Correct. And But 
it was their defense that was dominant. And, um, you know, they had Keekly in his banner years and, um, you know, Thomas Davis in his banner years. Uh, yeah, they I were. They, I guess that was the one Josh Norman year, too. Yeah, they had Josh Norman playing at, at a Pro Bowl level. They, they really got it going on defense. They set the tone. And then Cam was good for a couple TDs just with his legs every game. And, and yeah. you know. It's and one, of the most, one of the most dominating seasons by any player, Cam Newton, because it's just like, oh, he's just going to run and score touchdowns. And right. he can throw. And maybe it's to Greg Olson here. And maybe it's to Ted Ginn. And he's not going to have any receivers, but he's still going to. I think he had like 3,000, 4,000 yards passing that year. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's many ways to get there. And, you know, like the Bears made the playoffs because of their defense. Uh, mm-hmm. They struggled on offense all year. And now they've got a young gun come in and uh, maybe, maybe Fields can start right away. I think they would probably welcome that. I guess yeah. this will tickle your funny bone is Nick Foles making like, what, eight mil is quarterback three? Yep. He's going to be the practice squad guy. Dalton's making 10. Fields right. is going to make like three, which to be honest is less than like 50% of quarterback rooms in the NFL. Like none of them are like on terrible contracts. Right. It's just they're now paying two backup quarterbacks. and Right. So, I guess it's like yeah. the equivalent of Jacoby Brissett. This is why, too, I I always feel like free agency should be after the draft. Yeah, I agree with that. I like how the NBA does it, where the draft comes before free agency. But I also think that it changes the game because then you draft the players and maybe the young guys are going to be incentivized over the players. So I think the players like the idea of free agency before the yes. draft, but well, actually it, I think it helps the players more if, if free agencies after the draft, because well, it depends. It, it, it helps a certain handful of players who get signed before the draft by teams who don't think they're going to be able to draft at that position when it's their turn. In the yeah, first case year. in point is Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's going to get a starting quarterback job, but the Panthers had Justin Fields fall to them at eight, and they just passed on him for, Correct. you know, they, they want Sam Darnold to be their quarterback for two years right. and hope that he's pretty good, but then you have to pay him in next year anyways because he's got a $20 million player option. So. Yeah, and I was shocked they took J.C. Horn. Of course, he's a local kid, obviously, um, somewhat, South Carolina. But uh, I, that just was mind-boggling to me. And then, um, of course, now they're they're all in on Darnold. Uh, then the Broncos yeah, no. with a chance to take Fields or Jones. The Broncos are just the Broncos are now allergic to good quarterbacks. I, I don't get it. The Broncos that, are just mired in in organizational dysfunction. Yeah. The, the Panthers I mean, and the Broncos are the same thing. It just they haven't been the same since Super Bowl fifty, both teams. What was sticking in my craw, and I don't know if it was sticking in your craw, 
was the timing of the Aaron Rodgers, you know, rumors that he wants out of Green Bay. And, oh, wow, this draft's going to be all about Aaron Rodgers. You just stole the national spotlight for two weeks as host of Jeopardy and did a great job. Now the whole draft at the beginning is, is being flavored by the acrimony in Green Bay because poor Aaron Rodgers had a I, I cannot explain to you just how crazy those two hours were right after the news came in because that was at 12.20. We had a radio show at 1 o'clock, so I had to make content in 30 minutes, get all the radio and YouTube stuff up, then start trying to talk about Aaron Rodgers and giving nuanced perspective for this insane situation. And I just, I had to chuckle like sarcastically that we were starved of content for like four weeks. And of course you chose the one day where it's the NFL draft, that that's the day that you're going to have the, right. uh, the big rumors. Comes come to out, a head. Which, right. Which as just someone who like traffics in football content for his brand is just like, dude, I was starving for four weeks. Can, can't this wait? <laughs> Can it right. wait another few days? Because like now all of May is just Aaron Rodgers talk. Because if he's ready to make this ugly, he's going to get out of there. Because it looks like from the report, the Packers told him that they were going to trade him to the 49ers. And then that deal never came into any kind of fruition. And then the Packers went back and they were like, whoops, Sorry didn't happen and then Rodgers is like nope I'm not doing this anymore <laughs> I'm, I'm gone I'm not playing here anymore and I, uh, I see it from both sides so I, I'm not just going to blame Aaron Rodgers I think it's it's just you know both sides acting, yeah no I'm going to blame the Packers I think this is just ridiculous. organizational yeah. I mean who trades an MVP quarterback he well, just won fair, the MVP they, they came in with that plan. Like they drafted Jordan Love. Very clearly they were looking to like start anew with quarterback. But it looked like they were pivoting off of that plan. They were working on a contract extension. Hey all, this is Kyle from the future. So after we finished recording with Walter, the news came in in the afternoon as Aaron Rodgers was live at the Kentucky Derby. So someone was leaking that on his behalf, that uh, Aaron Rodgers may be angling to get GM Brian Guntenkust fired in Green Bay, which kind of, you know, it backs off what the information I had at the time of recording, which was, it looks like the Packers had shopped around trading Rodgers, that they may have been ready to go to Jordan Love, they were going to facilitate a trade to the Niners, and that didn't necessarily work out. Uh, again, that was at the time of recording, and now we have a little bit more information that I felt I'd bring up, but also a lot of rumors flying around, and Rogers saying that he's disappointed that all of this got out, and uh, a lot of questions about whether Rogers is going to be willing to make this ugly enough to facilitate his way out of Green Bay. It's going to be really interesting as this goes along, and as I mentioned off the top, it's going to be something that we, we circle back around to a few times here during the next few months when they uh, appear to be at least holding their ground, the Packers do, on Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers may be folding or his demands may be a little too much that I think the Packers realize that they can't really fire Gunten Kust. Or maybe they do. It'll be tough to see how it plays out. But if the Seahawks are passing on Russell Wilson at 33, it's going to be interesting to see whether Aaron Rodgers will ride it out and make things ugly 
in Green Bay. So felt I'd update with that story here, and this is why we have those sounds, is uh, the Aaron Rodgers news comes in after we record, and we can do a podcast with me butting in from the future. So with that being said, back to our regularly scheduled programming with Walter Mitchell. There were leaked trades that they had one of their contingency plans was trading Jordan Love to the Patriots, which fell apart after Aaron Rodgers demanded a trade. But that was one of their contingency plays in the draft. Like it looked like they were pivoting off of their previous plan from last year. And now everything is just blown up and no one knows what the hell's going on with the Packers, which to be honest, this is a long time coming. It's different than the Texans where it looks like it's incompetence at the top. And it's different than Seattle where it looks like it's just apathy and it would best serve everyone if Russell Wilson and the Seahawks parted ways. Like everyone would be better off getting a divorce, but they're staying together for a year for the children in Seattle. (laughs) This one feels different. This one feels like they're just, they've failed Aaron Rodgers at every turn for about a decade now. And it's just Aaron Rodgers is over it. When you tell him you're going to trade him and then you back out, Aaron Rodgers is, he's done with it. He's, he's ready to move on. And, and good on Aaron Rodgers, I suppose. Because it's, it's incompetence on the Packers part. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, of course, like, of course you're going to try and move out of Green Bay. Like, this is the last twilight of your career, and he's put up with enough crap from the organization at this point. Yeah, there are a lot of back and forth. I don't know who to believe and what to believe about it, except that, that there's clearly acrimony and, you know, things going on that we don't even know about. No, this, this came this, out of though, nowhere. This whole story I mean, came out of nowhere. <laughs> but, you know, history repeating itself. I could see why Aaron Rodgers would be indignant to for them to draft Jordan Love and then threaten to trade him after one year when he himself sat, what, three years waiting his turn as a first-round draft pick behind Brett Favre? Mm-hmm. So, I mean... It's like, okay, you're going to have me sit three years, but now you're going to accelerate this kid you just drafted in front of me. As I was, you know, we're coming into this potentially big year where a draft pick in the first round could have helped us get over the top. I mean, instead, I mean, I can see Aaron Rodgers getting ticked off about all of that. and Aaron Rodgers, to be honest, he took the original Jordan Love news like a champ. Like, he came out the first OTAs, and he made his Jordan Love statement that he was unhappy with the franchise's decision, but he was going to support Jordan all the way. Like, very professional about it after the right. fact, and then didn't right. bring it up again the rest of the season. Like, didn't mention right. Jordan Love's name. And, and, they, and they had a heck of a season, and, you know, and to be honest... Rodgers really had saved his worst game for the last game of the year. Um, and to, to like in the spirit of full disclosure, like I am pro the Packers decision to take Jordan Love. Like sustainability is a great idea in the football, in like roster construction. The problem is the reason you draft Jordan Love is so that down the road, what you can win 13 games and win the NFC North. Well, you've got that team right now. Like, but if you have that right, right now, it's like Jordan Love is good for down the road. I probably would have waited until 
you know, probably next year to pick Aaron Rodgers' replacement. But right. they really believe in Jordan Love. And if they think right. Jordan Love is going to be awesome, of course you take Jordan Love because sure. the quarterback position matters so much. But sure. this is – it's lunacy. Like, it's 13 wins, and this is the team that's ready made now to win. Jordan right. Love is just supposed to be the sustainable pivot once that window is closed, and I still don't think the Packers' window is closed. It might be now that Rodgers leaves, but I still didn't think that window was closed yet. Sure. No, I didn't either. But and but here's what's in my draw amidst this two-hour frenzy of speculation of where they would trade him to. I mean, there ought to be a rule. It should be the Peyton Manning-Andrew Luck rule. That no, you don't easily get a generational quarterback twice in you know in a series of two decades. In that the leading suddenly the leading candidate to get Rodgers was the Broncos, who you know I mean they won their Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, they won the Peyton Manning lottery. Now they're going to win the uh, Aaron Rodgers lottery. Unfair. I guess, but it's been it's been a half decade of incompetence in between. Like I feel like they've paid their dues of like eleven terrible quarterbacks in six years. Like it it has been a while since they've had a good quarterback. It's not like the Packers where they went twenty five years and seamlessly transitioned from Favre to Rogers. Yeah, I and, I get that point, but I I think you know too is fault on you for not developing anyone in that. And sticking with a quarterback and, you know, I mean, they have such a quick hook in that organization for quarterbacks. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, I mean, I thought Drew Luck, Drew Locke did some really good things as a rookie. And, yeah, he struggled some last year. But I wouldn't quit on that kid. I mean, he's got talent. He's got plenty of arm talent. I mean, and he can move around. But already it's sort of like, nah, nah, well, we've seen enough. And, or at least they're saying we want someone to compete with them, which is usually the, we, we don't believe it. So, um, you know, it's organizational too. I mean, sometimes you have to, I mean, people forget, but Russell Wilson had took his lumps. <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't, he had ups, ups and downs. I mean, in his size, too, someone could have said, nah, he'll never make it. He's too small. Yeah. Fox saw, you know, but that was largely due to to Russell Wilson's personality, too. I mean, Russell Wilson is a take-charge, um, smart, um, tenacious uh, person who, mm-hmm. you know, like a dog with a bone, he's not going to give it up. Um, you know, he persevered through all that. But that's the thing is, I, I find so frustrating with so many of the fans that I deal with or, you know, that I interact with um, is the just quickness to just say, oh, bust. Yes. Um, <laughs> one I, year, I... you know, or even two years. And then once they have that kind of mentality, even if a player starts to turn it around, they still feel that way. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.